Hello, and welcome to Failing Boldly, a podcast that invites people to share stories about failure, resilience, and perseverance. I'm your host, Christian Kuhn, and my guest this week is Jan Richardson. Jan is an artist, writer, and United Methodist pastor, and has traveled widely as a retreat leader and conference speaker. Jan has written many books, including her most recent one, Sparrow, a book of life and death and life, in which she shares in vulnerable and beautiful ways about the ache of grief and loss after the sudden death of her husband in 2013. We reflect on the nature of grief, how many people feel like they get grief quote-unquote wrong, and also we explore how failure is integrated into the creative process. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Jan Richardson, thank you so much for being on the Feeling Boldly podcast. Christian, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so glad to get to talk with you. This has just been a lovely, beautiful book. It's one of those books that um, it's hard to read quickly because there's so much richness to it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to have to probably go through it again uh, and Mm -hmm. and pick up on it. But um, so you started writing, it seems like anyway, the way the book is formatted, you started writing about six months um, after your husband's death. So I'm wondering if you could talk about just the beginnings and what spurred you to begin uh, writing and then what led you to decide to make this, uh, and you talk about this a little bit in the book, but actually make this something published. That's definitely a two-parter kind of question yeah. um, because there was the the uh, very much the writing journey of it and then the publishing and coming to the point of discerning that that was something that was being invited and possible for Sparrow was was its own journey. Um, Sparrow has its roots in, as you say, writing, largely has its roots in writing that I began to do six months after Gary died. But the, the initial impetus of Sparrow came while he was in the hospital. Gary had gone into the hospital in the uh, one autumn to uh, for surgery to have uh, to address a brain aneurysm that had been detected a few months before. And there were complications during the surgery and he uh, died several weeks later, never having regained consciousness. But while he was in the hospital, particularly during those initial days after his first surgery, I opened a file on my laptop and began making notes, uh, writing to him, writing notes to him of things that I that were happening to him in the hospital, things that I would want to tell him when he began to wake up and uh, notes about procedures and surgeries that happened in the people who cared for him and the people who came to see us and all those things that I would want to tell him as he began to wake. And we, of course, never had that opportunity. And about, as you said, six months later, I went back into that file and uh, for the first time since Gary's death and began to write again in that file. And as I had done in the hospital, I wrote in the second person uh, to Gary um, and uh, continued to write to him. And those pages became a place where I could tell what was happening, what was unfolding in in that time following his death. Those pages became a place where I could bear witness, not only to to the immense pain and aching absence and the the entirely unexpected and inexplicable loss of him just a few years after we had been married. Mm. But it also those pages also, I was 
I admit to being somewhat surprised by the way that those pages became a place that I could also tell of and testify to the remarkable moments of grace and beauty that were unfolding in the midst of the grief that were woven through the grief, those moments of connection and comfort and solace that were coming, uh, those moments of, you know, that, that told of how my life was continuing to unfold. And so that's, uh, I, as I set out, I didn't think of it as a book particularly when I set out and certainly not as something that I was aiming to. It felt very much uh, in, in, in some ways, like a very intimate conversation that was unfolding between Gary and me. And I use the word conversation very loosely because it's not like I had experiences of hearing his voice, you know, as I was going, going about that, but there was, uh, there did come to be a sense of exchange with with Gary that something that it wasn't just me rattling around in this awful void that had been left in the wake of his death that there was uh, that there was presence there and that there was ongoing life for both him and for me and uh, not in the ways that we ever would have hoped for or anticipated but that was real and authentic and uh, still full of life and so publishing that you know became its own journey we had a chance to talk last week, uh, which was which I'm grateful for. And then too. one of the things you. we talked about was just the, this whole, what's called the grief process. And I know as a pastor, for example, I have this series of books that actually are very helpful, but they are very linear. Like you send this booklet three weeks after the death, this booklet three months, six months, and 12 months, and then the booklets are done. What yeah. you've written is, and I'm going to quote from the book here. And you write, far from being a progressive process, grief moves by turns and spirals, a twisting path. And um, when I was reading it, and of course, with the podcast, I was somewhat looked with a lens of, of failure. And I think people that yeah. I've talked with over the years, when it comes to grief, they sometimes feel like I'm not doing it right. Like there should be, how come I'm not, it's been a year. How come I'm not, I'm not like really over it yet? Yep. So can you talk about the the twists and turns, mm -hmm. uh, turns and spirals, and then that whole sense of like, I'm not getting grief right. I'm not doing yeah. it right. <laughs> yes. That is such a great question, Christian. I really, really appreciate it appreciate it. And there, gosh, there are lots of directions I could go with right. that, just starting with the words grief process that mm -hmm. you used at the outside of the question. And I remember that moment very early on after Gary's death, when, when those words came to mind and that awareness that I had, and I, I, <laughs> that awareness that I had been thrust into a process that I had no, no, choice in entering. It was like I had been handed a passport to a country that I never imagined visiting, <laughs> at least, you know, at least not this soon. Yeah. And um, and being really angry about being being in this process that I had that I had not sought sought out. And I keep looking for a better word than you know, better words than grief process because process that um it, it is a process. It's absolutely a process. But it, but it I does, keep looking it, it for something. Notes some a linear add, a, li, a linear to it, but it's, uh, it is linear, right? Yeah, and it is so. You know, it is. It is my experience of grief yeah. is that it is anything but linear. And I think in the in the culture that I'm, you know, that I'm part of, that I'm familiar with, we have been. Uh, grief is often talked about as something that has these linear stages and is a progressive kind of process and we move from one stage to the next. And that can that conveys 
um, uh, well, I think there are certain things that tend to resonate across and happen across grief journeys. They are so, our grief journeys are so achingly particular. And my experience is that they, I have, my journey has not happened in, in linear, nameable kind of kind of stages. There are twists and turns. And, and that's actually, I, I experienced that as part of the grace in grieving is that if, if it really is a linear process that unfolds by tidy, orderly stages, then we can predict how the journey is going to unfold. And being able to see how a journey is going to unfold isn't always a particular uh, a particularly great gift. <laughs> Sometimes it is, depending on what what the journey is. Uh, but for me, there's been so much grace in coming up on those moments of grace in the moments of grace that unfolded in ways I never would have predicted or imagined or anticipated because it was not a, a linear process. One of the things I found most challenging uh, in my own grieving is uh, that experience of anticipatory grief, mm-hmm. uh, thinking, okay, you know, next week, next month, next, you know, whatever, I'm going to need to be at, at this particular point and, or I'm going to need to let this aspect of my relationship my life with Gary go. And thankfully my experience is that those moments never, if, if indeed they come, never wind up looking like I fear they're going to look like they happen in a much more organic kind of way in a more gracefully surprising kind of way and hold gifts that I'm. Yeah. When you were thinking ahead, like something was coming up, the anticipatory grief, was that because Mm -hmm. there was some sort of uh, like a birthday or an anniversary or an important date that made you feel that way? Uh, sometimes it those, it's those kind of markers for sure. Um, um, but I think more so, and I think this is tied to that notion that, um, well, yeah, I would sometimes cross paths with very caring and well-meaning friends who would sometimes ask things like, are you better now? Oh my gosh. And I think that's an expectation we sometimes place on ourselves as well as one another that because we think of grief as a progressive process, um, that, that we should be hit, hitting those moments of getting better and getting better, you know, along the way. And to some extent, in my experience, they're tied with the you know, first anniversary, second anniversary of his death or, you know, our wedding or whatever. But, uh, but sometimes it's just because it's Tuesday or it's Wednesday and I feel like I should be in a different place than, than I am now. Well, you talk, not, you do talk about the, the important dates. I know there was one place um, where you talk, I think it was an anniversary of your first date or something like that. And so those momentous dates you make note of, but then you also say, um, <clears throat> that it's in the minutia that you miss Gary most mm-hmm. of all. Uh, and I think that too, it was helpful for me as somebody who p- tries to be with people as they grieve. Mm-hmm. I I pay attention to the big dates <clears throat> in their lives. Yeah. But also I think I sometimes lose track of this. Just there's going to be lots of little things that just pop up. Yeah. And I would imagine kind of unexpectedly too. Is that true? Uh, yes. Both it's, I think both, well, that's where we live our lives, of course, you know, is in the minutiae, those everyday moments. And and I, that's so much of what I loved about making a life was with Gary was, you know, waking up in the morning and I don't drink coffee, but I loved waking up to the smell of the coffee that he was making and, um, and, you know, and 
just all that. And we, uh, he, he was a singer songwriter and we both had our studios in our home, mine in the front and his in the back. So a lot, just our lives revolved in many ways around being together at home, working, inhabiting this ongoing everyday, you know, moment by moment conversation about uh, the life we were making, but what it meant to be um, creatives uh, in the respective ways uh, that we did that. And then the collaborating we did together. And so uh, talking, just thinking about anniversaries, I think about how I, I learned, I think I learned fairly early on that it was really important to figure out a plan for what I was going to do on say the first anniversary of his death or the anniversary of our wedding and some, or his birthday, that, that kind of thing. But, <laughs> and that's been important to figure out, okay, who do I, who do I, who do I need to be with on this particular day or how do I need to, to take care of myself uh, on this particular day? But I learned that I needed to give thought to, okay, what do I do the day after uh-huh. the, that marker day? Because then that things, you know, the minutia comes back, uh, the everydayness comes back with full force the day after I've navigated an anniversary date. And that's been an important learning for me is how do I care for myself, not only on the marker days, but in the in-between days as well, when I continue to, you know, I continue to live in the home that we shared and how is that shifting and how are my rhythms and habits and practices shifting in a way that allow my life to continue to unfold in this, uh, in this place, in this life, in this space that I shared with Gary. That's really helpful to, to hear because I think what I tell people too, <clears throat> when somebody dies and there's this kind of wave of support yeah. uh, and love for the person who is, who is doing yeah. the grieving. <laughs> and then after a time, most of that kind of goes away. Yeah. And that's when, my experience anyway, that's when it really hits. Uh, was that, I mean, was that true for you? That kind of after that wave of support and then is just left with you and the empty studios? Yeah, I clearly remember the day the last, our last family members left to go back to the airport. And you know, a friend of mine took them because I couldn't bear the thought of dropping them off and waving goodbye and having to drive back to my empty house. So um, I said goodbye at the front door and walked back into my empty house and began to try to figure out what life was going to look like from here. I, I think that's such a, what that cycle that you describe is, I think that's such a, that is such a, um, that is such a normal kind of cycle. It's, yeah. I, it can be very challenging for the people who are experiencing it, but also that's there's something very natural about we in 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 those moments of crisis hopefully we uh we rise to those moments and we gather around one another in those those moments and then for everybody the everydayness of life takes over and we go go back about our normal business i kept waiting you know i'm i'm still waiting for that second wave of casseroles to kick in because you know <laughs> that was that the bringing of food and i grew up in the south and um and that that bringing of food is such a such a form of of support and love and and there are other ways uh, very much other ways that i experienced that from family and friends that that ongoing gift of support and love but but yes it it shifts the nature of it shifts the the intensity of it shifts mm-hmm. over time that that immediacy of 
okay, the house is filled with people who love me and who have come to be with, with, with me in this terrible time. So yes, send casseroles. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not actually, I, not everybody loves getting casseroles, but uh, I'm in the casseroles camp. I, (laughs) I think that's an excellent tangible form of love. (laughs) Yeah. Well, or any symbol of love really just. Yes, absolutely. That I'm here for you. I haven't forgotten. Yes. Yes. One other thing I really appreciate about part of the book too is certainly whenever someone is is mourning the loss of a loved one and the mind begins to wonder what has happened to this person, what has really happened to this person. And I think part of our soul's brains kick into, well, they must be in what they call heaven Mm -hmm. and they imagine them enjoying life. I've done my share of funerals where people would come up and say something to the effect of, well, they're really enjoying watching this baseball game or meeting this person or what have you. And I understand that's very natural too. And, but I, you really go into depth and just kind of exploring the questions of what is Gary, what kind of time is Gary experiencing Mm. now and what kind of interactions are you having with Gary? And so did that kind of thought process come naturally to you and in writing about it, did that also come naturally? I don't think I would say it came naturally because part of what happened for me in the wake of Gary's death, which I think is so, you know, happens to so many people when they lose a loved one, is that it stirred up all kinds of questions about what I thought I really believed um, about uh, about this life, about uh, the life to come, about how those aren't two separate things but are part of you know that we are we are part of one life in God but in this life there is a, a profound sense of um, a veil or sometimes it certainly has felt like a wall between this life and whatever kind of time Gary is living in and um it, I think it's still a bit challenging for for me to articulate but that's some uh, as you say that's some of what unfolded in Sparrow and some of what I was most particularly wrestling with in Sparrow was and I think I think when it comes to questions about heaven or uh, the kind of life that might be unfolding for Gary if Gary still has Garyness and <laughs> consciousness and if if he if there's um someone out there who, who you know if if he has ongoingness and that itself was a mm. fundamental question for me yeah. and you know I'm somebody who has written about you know I love all saints day and communion of the saints and that notion that I have long loved that notion that death does not remove us from being in relationship with one another uh, but still there's there's something about intense loss that compels all these uh, very difficult questions at least in in my experience to come to the surface about whether you know even whether Gary had ongoingness to him at all but when I think about thinking about your question yeah um about it's um, when I think about heaven, I think I I I think it's still the case, and perhaps has become even more true in the wake of Gary's death. I think in terms more of time than of specific place. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I have some thoughts about heaven, as you know, that there's. Uh, I uh, some kind of physical aspect to it that gives you know the notion of which gives me solace and comfort. 
Um, I think the questions have really, for me, constellated around, as you noted, time and what kind of time is Gary living in and and what kind of time am I I being, um, what kind of time am I being invited to live in in this life? And are there points, are there ways, are there places where, where our times intersect or are part of one another and one uh, one thing I came really clear about following Gary's death is that, that I do believe there's a way that intense loss tears open this door or window or portal or something to eternity and we who have loved somebody we who love someone who is no longer physically present in this world enter that that we are thrust into eternity in a way that holds many, again, I'll use that word graces, uh, but also has some really difficult things to navigate, but again, also holds graces. And so those, those questions about time and eternity continue to intrigue me um, as I, as, as the time continues to unfold. You use a really lovely word in talking a lot about synchronicities Mm. when um, some might call them, you know, maybe holy coincidences or something yeah, like that when yeah. you are um, thinking about Gary or some, something just kind of pops up that you had been thinking about. And, and so you kind of ponder in, in the book, is, you know, is this, is this a synchronicity that somehow Gary has instigated or some mysterious way of connection? So can you share a little bit about why, about how you define synchronicities and how, what made you think of that particular word? I think I think the word itself just came naturally I was, as I was wrestling with questions about time in the wake of Gary's death and I think synchronicity is a great I think that's a great as as I continue to carry those questions about are there ways that that um, you know, this time, this uh, chronological time uh, intersects with uh, what sometimes is called Kairos time, that time out of time, that eternity laden, mm-hmm. uh, eternity trenched uh, uh, kind of kind of time. And I think synchronicity, I experienced that as a, um, and, and I like how you describe it as holy coincidences. Gary called it God winking. And I've mm. heard other people describe it the same way. Um, I, I think it's a great uh, kind of intersectional word that that helps get at the what I want to say is a fact um, that there are these intersections in time between what we experience as chronology and what we experience as eternity when when occurrences come together in a way that we couldn't have predicted and yeah. that in in our linear experience of life and the unfolding of our days something seems to break in which I think is probably just God's natural way of working but from this you know from this vantage point we experience it as momentous and even it and for me those synchronicities happen very much uh, in the ordinary kind of ways and I've never really come down solidly on whether I think <clears throat> this is for sure Gary sending this to me as you know a sign or or whatever but I did come to see you know that's you know as you know that's one of the questions that persists through Sparrow is there meaning and intent behind these synchronicities either either from God or from from Gary but I I do have I did come to have a sense and continue to carry carry a sense that there is that there is this lovely that those moments of synchronicity you know when a when a 
word comes my way that I most needed, you know, from the writing of somebody else, or when I have crossed paths and had an exchange with somebody that was beyond something I could have predicted, um, a place that I have wound up going to that I never would have imagined going to that is just drenched with (laughs) significance. I have come to see those as uh, simply as witnesses to the ongoing mystery of God and God's life with us. And I don't feel a need to particularly ascribe meaning or intent or pattern to it, but I do think there is immense grace at work behind it. And I, that is something I can trust. That is something I have come to trust. It seems like you kind of embrace that the mystery. And part of that is the, I don't know if you, if you call it a relation, ongoing relationship of sorts, but a couple of places you, for example, you talk about, um, is there anything that I can do for you? You're, you're writing this mm-hmm. in a sense in a, as a conversation with Gary. Is there anything I can do for you from this side of the veil is how you mm-hmm. put it. And then near the end of the book too, it broke my heart a little bit, <laughs> but you, you wrote that you worry sometimes you wrote, this is you again in conversation with Gary. I worry sometimes that I'm disappointing you, that the grief I carry mm-hmm. so close to me causes you disappointment or frustration or pain. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so there's that sense of still kind of an ongoing relationship. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you don't mind me asking, does that, do you still have that s- same sense today as you did four or five, six years ago? Mm, thank you <laughs> for that, for that question. I think that, uh, that, first part of your question about you know, where I write about wanting to do something for for Gary, I think that's something that comes, uh, I, I have friends who have experienced uh, this, that I think in the um, initial, and I couldn't tell you how long after Gary's death it was that I was feeling that so keenly, but I think there's this sense in the midst of the utter helplessness of experiencing a loved one's death that there, there, my experience certainly was um, the sense of what can I do? You know, (laughs) what, what can I do that will give me some sense of feeling something other than this utter helplessness? And uh, so I think, I, I think it's probably the case. And I think I come to see this more and more clearly that, that those who, uh, those who live on the other side of the veil, those who live fully in, in eternity, um, are probably well beyond any need of our help. Um, and um, but I, I think, and this connects some with the second part of your your question. I, I think there is some ongoing sense of, oh gosh, I hardly know where to go with this question because that that that's so that comes, uh, you know, that question, you know, and where I write about um you know, being concerned that Gary is disappointed with me, which was so, that would be so contrary to his nature. And that for me was just one of those many moments of feeling failure in my own grieving, that I wasn't doing it right, that it was a sense of, there is a sense of ongoing conversation with Gary, ongoing exchange with Gary, but my experience of it, these, you know, three, four, five, six years later, since writing some of those particular passages, is that the conversation, whatever, you know, again, very loose definition of conversation, whatever exchange is happening has gone so deep so very deep into my heart and my bones that it's no longer at um, in some of those more surface places mm-hmm. that I was writing about when I uh, when I was uh, 
when I was going through and experiencing the, the unfolding of Sparrow. Um, and that there's there's a bit of an ache there because I don't I don't experience synchronicities in quite the way that I used to, or that I don't um, I don't experience the conversation in quite the way I used to. But there's also a tremendous amount of solace in that 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 the conversation, the exchange, my life with Gary, the life I knew with Gary before his death as well as since his death, that that's just part of that's part of who I am now. That's part of the stuff that is that is part of who I am and my everyday life. And that is um I I most days <laughs> um I don't feel bound by that, but that that inspires and frees me mm. to continue to enter into this life that I am called to enter into, of which Gary is that you know, he, he is, and again, this comes back to mystery. He is still somehow a part of, a part of my life, but in a way I don't feel frozen or stuck in the life that we shared. Although I certainly have my moments of feeling frozen and stuck, mm-hmm. um, that I, you know, they come regardless <laughs> of, of what our lives look like. But I, I think, um, with, time and with asking the questions that needed to be asked and having the conversations not only with Gary but with kind of people in the flesh here and in this life uh, who could bear witness to my grief and my questions and all the intensity and immensity of of all that that there has come a kind of freedom to draw inspiration from the life uh, that that I have known with Gary and and that continues to be a gift and it continues to shift and change and um yeah. uh, you know I still carry the sorrow of it of his loss um pretty pretty keenly but uh it it I think as time unfolds, the experience of of many of us, and it's certainly been my experience, is that grief is so intertwined with uh, with love and hope and gratitude, deep gratitude, and and that those are all bound together, and that grief does not have the final word. Mm. Um, that, that, that love has the final word. And as time unfolds, my experiences that that becomes more and more clear that the love that was always present between us, that that becomes more and more clear and takes particular, you know, takes particular shape and, you know, has ongoing life and yeah. in my life. As, so that's as one of the lines I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but in the book is that your hope, your prayer is that, that, that love will be more fierce. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. And that's, uh, that's the hope. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit yeah. about um, your, your faith life in the midst of all of this? So mm-hmm. at one point uh, you wrote, uh, I don't trust God so much right now, which I think is pretty natural for a, a person going through grief. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the kind of the ebb and flow of, uh, of your faith, but particularly in those first couple of years as you were, uh, writing down these reflections unknowingly true of myself that my faith depended in not in every way but in many ways on what i believed about god mm-hmm. what i understood to be true you know i grew up in the church i've been to seminary i've studied religion i've you know um all all that kind of stuff and um, I knew a lot. 
And I think it's a pretty natural kind of thing that when a crisis occurs in our life, everything or many of the things that we thought we knew are suddenly crumble beneath us in ways that we can't even, um, in the initial aftermath, we can't even begin to to grab back. (laughs) And, And my my knowing of God was certain has certainly been one of the hugest things for me. Uh, um, you know, one of the hugest places where that has been true since Gary's death. And I, and that faith for me, I think is filled with a lot more, a lot less knowing. And a lot more mystery these days. And um, I think it's very, uh, I I think about some of the particular questions that came in the wake of Gary's death and the, I never had any sense that God had intentionally inflicted it, inflicted this on Gary, um, had inflicted the brain aneurysm in the first place, had inflicted uh, the, uh, the clot that happened uh, in the surgery to address the brain aneurysm. Um, I never had a sense. And and there was, I, I will say there was a remarkable constellation of things that had to coincide that resulted in Gary's death. So it was uh, particularly in, in the initial aftermath of Gary's death. I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And how is it that all those things lined up in a way that caused Gary not to be here anymore. I mean, that really, it was like, it was like the underside of the underbelly of synchronicity that all those things lined up in a way that resulted in Gary's death. And although I never had a sense for the most part that God inflicted that or willed or desired that God clearly allowed for that to happen. And what possible point or purpose Mm. could there be? And that, um, uh, we were just a few years married. Gary has a son, um, has was doing amazing work uh, in his creative life. You know, what? Um, and so that the, you know those kind of questions just stir stir more and more questions about who is God and is God at work in this and is there a God? If this is happening, is there even even a God? Uh, and I keep coming, and it's not that those questions don't <laughs> come to the surface. Sure anymore but i do there is a sense that 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 love and grace and mystery went out and that that god is somehow in ways that i don't understand and in ways that still sometimes anger me um, because i don't understand them um, or i don't see the point of it um you know can be challenging to to live with but i i i um, and yeah, that sense of, you know, that I don't, <laughs> um, that where I wrote, I don't trust you so much right now that, oh gosh, that was really fierce. And mm-hmm. in the, in, in the time after Gary's death and still comes around from time to time. But I think there's something that comes to meet us that goes beyond you know, logical knowing and goes beyond surface trust. And again, I think again, that's in, in my bones, kind of something that's come to settle in my bones kind of thing. And not that it doesn't ever get riled up. I still sure. get angry at God. Um, but 
you know, it's, it's that kind of anger born over, you know, that comes from being in deep relationship with somebody, you know, who angers us the most, the people mm-hmm. we love the most. <laughs> you know? And it's because of that deep, deep relationship that we can allow, you know, God, you know, God is plenty big enough for our anger and our mm-hmm. grief and our everything that comes along with that. And I, I trust that. I want to ask just one shift a little bit from Sparrow and just ask a question about you as a, as an artist uh, and as a creator, we talked about this last week and I'm curious about um, when you engage in this process and you touch on this a little bit in the book, kind of starting and stopping with different um, things that you're working on. But again, I know this is a large question, but how does, how does failure, how is failure integrated into your work is particularly as an artist. Mm. I've heard it said, and I, I can't remember who said this, um, uh, but that art is what we do with our mistakes. Mm. And I think you can substitute the word failures there. I think if, if I am not willing to allow myself to, yeah, I just, I, I um, I think of my, our, our dear, dear, dear friends, Peg and Chuck, who are amazing artists and who uh, have been Gary's and my closest kind of friends as a couple. Um, and Peg is so good about, has long been so good about reminding me, you, you have to make bad art in order to get to the mm-hmm. good stuff. And that can, and when you're, when one, when I am in the midst of making what feels to me like bad art, art, uh, that, uh, that gosh, who wants to do that? You know, that can feel very much like failure when I'm in the studio and something isn't unfolding, like I, like I had vision, had envisioned, envisioned it, or when I'm having a hard time getting myself into the studio, which has not always been a, let's say growing edge for, for me, cause I throw up my own for whatever reasons. And, you know, a constellation of reasons I throw up my own obstacles to the creative process, which is the place that brings me some of the most life and joy and healing that I experience in my journey. And still there's something in me that, that is, um, that can be fiercely resistant to that for, for, for whatever reason. But if, um, Gary was one of the most stubbornly persistent, um, persevering people that I have ever known. And that's, that's one of his legacies in my life is that if I can have some measure of that stubbornness and perseverance, Mm. stubbornness in a good way and perseverance and and persistence, if I can keep showing up in the studio, if I can... (laughs) If I can open myself to the possibility of making bad art, then I'll get to whatever it is that's wanting to be created. I, and I'll say that my entree into art, I, I didn't grow up thinking of myself as an artist. I did grow up thinking of myself as a writer that has always, always, always been been part of who I have known myself to be in, in this world and the artwork, even though I was creative as a kid, uh, the artwork, the visual artwork didn't really come to the fore until I was about to finish seminary. And when it started showing up, I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? Because it had a, a tremendous pull on me. And it felt like something that you know, it felt like a big door that was that was opening. And I was as I was getting ready to return to Florida and take my first appointment as a pastor, I couldn't, I had no idea how this art thing was gonna, you know, this artist thing was gonna 
weave together with that. But my entree into becoming an artist was really through the medium of paper collage, which is so much about pulling apart and tearing apart and working with the pieces that have been left behind and picking up what might otherwise have been thrown away or and working uh, working with the pieces uh, that I might want to get rid of. And of course, now I'm no longer talking about collage, but I'm talking about the light, you know, my life and, and the way that God works in our lives and works with the brokenness and the shards and fragments and bits and pieces and, um, and the, and the, you know, the, the scraps of our stories that me, we might prefer to hide or to throw away. I, I came to learn in the process of, um, of becoming a collage artist who, who, because of that, was invited to think a lot about how God was at work in the pieces uh, and fragments of my life. Uh, but I, I really came to see God as the consummate recycler, uh, the consummate <laughs> recycler, then God's economy, nothing is wasted. Yeah. Nothing is wasted. And and for me, that speaks to those, um, that connects with those moments that feel like such failures to me, you know, that in, and, and that I can, and that feel burdensome and that feel heavy for me or, um, or that I feel embarrassed about or shameful or wish I had done differently. And that there is something in at work in God's mercy and grace and in God's economy and in God's very being that none of that gets wasted. None of those seeming failures are really, you know, actual <laughs> failures. Um, none of that gets wasted. And, and that is a mystery to me as well. And I, I, as with faith, I ebb to you, you know, to borrow your words, uh, that is something that ebbs and flows for me. My willingness to show up for that in the studio uh, still can ebb and flow. And, um, uh, but I, I want to keep showing up and to, yeah. discern, to discern how am I being called to, to do that now? And what is, you know, what is the bad art that I need to make in order to get to, to the good stuff? Yeah. yeah. Well, along those, I usually end these conversations by asking folks to to share a story of, of failure, uh, either <laughs> uh, professional or personal, uh, big or small, something that happened yesterday, something that happened several years ago. So I was wondering if you could share share a story out of your own experience. So many stories that come to <laughs> mind, Christian. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, what... Um, what particularly comes to mind for me and that and it very much connects with what we were just talking about the the creative process i i do find myself very much wishing that that after the pandemic began i had been more mindful about entering into and i didn't even quite have words for this but um, I wish it, that I had been more mindful about entering into some kind of specific creative process that mm. would have helped me navigate the pandemic and either either you know in in the studio and uh, with my artwork or with a specific kind of writing practice that that arose because we were you know we've been going through this pandemic and i mean it, there are lots of reasons i didn't do that partly because i was focused on bringing sparrow out this past summer partly because just 
you know, navigating a pandemic, it turns out, uh, turns out to require an immense amount of energy. And who who knew we were going to be still navigating it, you know, more, more than a year into it. And I say that not to justify my, what feels like failure, a failure of creative practice uh, Mm. to myself, but just to place it, place it in a little context and try to give myself a bit of grace. Um, But I, I, I feel some sense of failure and not having undertaken some kind of, you know, pandemic specific um, creative practice. And I kind of have to be careful what I <laughs> like on Instagram, when I see this amazing work that people have managed <laughs> to do over the past year, I, I have to, I both say, you know, wow, isn't that amazing? And God, you know, how, how is it that I didn't manage to do something like this, but I have my own things I've done. And, and over the, the past year that, that I want to believe had their own creative process to them. But I will say that sense that for me, that there's failure um, and that part of my creative life over this past year also, of course, carries an invitation as failure mm-hmm. always does for us. It hold, For me, that particular sense of failure holds an invitation to, okay, what kind of creative practice can I take up now in this moment, um, yeah. in this particular, yeah, in this particular point in time that will help carry me into uh, into the time that is yeah. unfolding. So thank, thank you, for you for that, that question. Yeah. Well, I um, want to ask to actually end with having you read uh, something that you shared in the book. The, the book itself is a really lovely integration of both poetry and prose. Some of the poetry is others that you cite, but then some of it is also your own poetry and blessings. And so I was wondering if you could read um, one uh, called God of the Living that I particularly liked as, as a way to kind of end our conversation. Mm, thank you, Christian. Yeah, I'd be, I would be delighted to. And I want to say, um, I probably should say that this, uh, this blessing, this, uh, and writing blessings, which take the form of poetry has been, a was a practice for me prior to Gary's death. And one that has continued has been a really saving practice for me and, and um, solaceful practice for me since Gary's death. And, uh, and there's a lot I could say about blessings and how they intersect with and, and move in spirally kind of ways within and, and beyond time. Uh, but this is a blessing that I wrote actually just a bit more than a week before Gary had his mm-hmm. fateful surgery. And I had no idea how much I was going to need this blessing for myself and how quickly, but I've also learned that's just something of the way that the blessings work, um, that they have this way of spiraling through time and coming back around to meet us and, and the ways that we most need Celtic folk knew something about that. Mm -hmm. And they certainly have been an inspiration. This is called God of the living. And it was inspired by the words of Jesus in Matthew were, uh, were, he says, now God is God, not of the dead, but of the living for to God, all of them are alive. When the wall between the worlds is too firm, too close, when it seems all solidity and sharp edges, when every morning you wake as if flattened against it, its forbidding presence fairly pressing the breath from you all over again. Then may you be given a glimpse of how weak the wall and how strong what stirs on the other side, breathing with you and blessing you still. 
forever bound to you, but freeing you into this living, into this world so much wider than you ever knew. Well, that's such a beautiful way to end uh, our conversation. Thank you for reading that. And thank you for Sparrow and highly recommend it. Uh, It's, as I noted at the very beginning, it's a very rich read. And so those are particularly wonderful books to just take your time with. And so I Mm -hmm. certainly recommend it to those who are grieving, those who love those who are grieving, Mm -hmm. uh, which all of us will be at some point or another. So yeah, Yeah. Jan, thank you so much for for, um, spending this time with me today. Uh, Christian, thank you for the gift of this conversation with you and blessings to you and yours. And that's our episode for this month. Thanks again to Jan for giving her time for this conversation. You can learn more about Jan at her website, janrichardson.com. And also you can follow her on social media. She's on Instagram at Jan Richardson Studio and on Facebook at Jan Richardson Author. To learn more about my ministry and back episodes of this podcast, you can go to my website, christiancoon.com. Thanks again for listening.